Hello and welcome to Community Connection. I'm Iowa City Mayor Bruce Teague. The Black Lives Matter movement is challenging us to examine ourselves and our systems to identify and remove barriers that prevent all of our community members from enjoying the same opportunities. We could all do our part, whether it's taking part in a demonstration, donating money to social justice groups, or making changes at your workplace. The first step to any change is having those tough conversations about the issues. Joining me to do that today is Dr. Nicole Del Castillo, the Director of the Office of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at the University of Iowa Healthcare, Carver College of Medicine. Thanks for joining me. Hello, happy to be here. I'm so excited that you're here. Um, so of course I heard you a couple of Sundays ago at church and I thought I gotta bring you on just to talk to you. Of course, I'm happy to share and um, have this conversation with you today, so yes. So I know that you grew up in Champaign, Illinois. And, and so tell me what has been your experience as a black woman in America? So yeah, so I, yes, I grew up in Champaign, Illinois um, and uh, another college town similar to Iowa City. And um, in the 80s and 90s when I grew up, um, you know, I, or Champaign was fairly diverse, I think for the size of town, even though it's not very large city. Um, I feel like because of the university, it brought a lot of diversity. Um, racially, um, ethnically, and socially, and economically, for sure. Um, but I, you know, feel like from an early age, they did um, experience, you know, examples of overt and covert racism. Um, I was often the only um, black student in my classes often, and often, you know, having those feelings of, do I belong? Those, you know, thoughts of imposter syndrome. Do I belong here? Am I just kind of that token person or the token black person that they have here? Um, and having examples where I remember when I was in second and third grade, second or third grade, and um, I was at my friend's house for a um, class project. And uh, the, her neighbor, who was outside when we were all outside kind of working on this class project, her neighbor came over and, you know, said, oh, look at the little black girl over there. And so, um, you know, even from that time period, just definitely recognizing that I'm a black person in America even before then, but definitely having those examples where people um, point it out, make you to be kind of that other. And um, when I um, just recently having kind of new conversations with my mom or conversations with her about um, growing up in Champaign and what, what that was like, I remember her saying something about um, when I was cast in a play in, in second grade and I was cast as the maid. And me, you know, I, I didn't really understand the history behind that for her expressing, you know, being very upset and frustrated that I was cast as a maid. And so, yeah, so things like that um, have happened to me um, from an early, early on. One of the things that's happening, as we both know, is that people are revisiting some of their personal stories of racism, um, you know, any of those over covert um, experiences, as well as people within the community, um, our white allies, they're looking at how are they contributing uh, to this and what can they do to kind of change this um, in, our, in our society, especially 
here in Iowa City. And so I, I thank you for sharing your story because I think it is those type stories that people can hear and kind of envision how they cannot make those same mistakes, you know, moving forward. And I think mm -hmm. the conversations have to be had. And that's where we are, where we're, where we have to have those, I, I call them uncomfortable conversations. Yeah. Um, because they are. Mm -hmm. But they're, necess they're necessary. Now, I know that your family, um, you come from academia and you have kind of a, a lot of women in your family that um, have, have been an influence within your life. Can you tell us a little bit about your family history and academia? Yeah, so um, my mother um, is the youngest of five children, and she grew up in Alabama during kind of the Jim Crow South time. And she um, has two older sisters and two older brothers. And um, of the five of them, all of the, the females, all the girls were the ones to go to college. Um, so they all um, went to college, got a bachelor's degree, and went on to get master's degree. And um, even what my mom says, master's plus 60, uh, which is often something that um, teachers often get. So right before you get your PhD, but enough credits um, to right before that. So uh, my mother, she, um, so from an early, and all of them became teachers, um, grade school teachers, and had very successful long careers in that. My family definitely instilled in me the, the, the value of education. And to see all the, my aunts and my mother who had, um, graduated from college. So it wasn't a question that, you know, of course I was going to college. Um, and so within my family, my cousins, there's a lot of female, there's only two on my mother's side, there's only two male cousins and the rest of us are um, female cousins. And so um, of us, we, um, you know, there's, there's uh, myself who's a doctor, there's my cousin who's a lawyer, there are um, mothers among us, um, there are um, teacher, there's physical therapist, um, business owners. So we just all have taken, which I really think, taken the example of my mom and my aunts and seen that we can succeed, that we can um, continue to do things to um, push that envelope, um, not only as um, black people in America, but black women in America. So I'm thankful to my mom and to my um my aunt for um, paving the way and pushing through and persisting, even though I can only imagine how difficult that might've been during that time, um, but to pave the way and to be examples for me and my cousins. I am so happy to see you just smiling, talking about your family because I am smiling, listening to you. And I know that your mom and your aunt are super proud of like the legacy that you all are doing as far as like showing that you can be successful and you have to work hard for those opportunities, but you all are finding ways to achieve that. So thank you for being Dr. Nicole Del Castillo because that's an inspiration for me and for black children to be able to see um, someone that is successful through academia. And so thank you for that opportunity of showing um, 
that we can be like Mike, right? <laughs> in, yeah. in a way. Yeah. Yes. Everybody want to be like Mike, right? So we can be <laughs> like Dr. Nicole. So you are the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at the Carver School of Medicine. Tell us a little bit about that and what brought you to Iowa City? Most people that I, you know, when I was growing up or even now, I say I live in Iowa City and people are like, where's that <laughs> in Iowa? Yeah, and you know yeah. the next question that comes. Black people live there? <laughs> exactly, yeah. yeah. So I, um, I actually, this is not my first time living in Iowa City. This is my second time living in Iowa City. So I um, did most of my education in Illinois. I um, did, I went to the University of Illinois for undergraduate. And then um, for medical school, I went to Southern Illinois University. And so after medical school, you know, you're applying to or during residence or during medical school, you're applying for residency programs. And at the time, I was interested in eating disorders, which is, um, yeah, so I was interested in eating disorders. Um, I decided I was going to do psychiatry. And there were only a few programs in the country who really had a strong eating disorder program. And um, especially even in the Midwest. So in Iowa was one of those programs. So when I was looking at programs, Iowa City was top on my list. And um, I applied, got an interview, which is kind of the next step. And um, I put, you know, Iowa is actually my first choice when you put your rank list. And my husband and I, my, my, um, we both couples matched and he was going into anesthesia and we put Iowa's our first list, our first on our list and by the grace of God, thankfully, we both matched here at Iowa. So um, I was here from 2009 to 2014 doing my psychiatry, uh, general psychiatry residency and my child psych fellowship here. And so then I, um, after we finished, my husband, we moved away because he wanted to do a fellowship uh, in anesthesia. And I um, did a research fellowship, did an MPH. So we moved away for a little bit. But Iowa City was always in the back of my mind. It reminded me in a lot of ways, being a college town of where I grew up. Um, during this time when we were away, we had our daughter and then our son. And so I had always envisioned raising my children in a similar environment to where I was raised, which is similar, you know, another college town. So I was like, if we, you know, if opportunity lended itself to come back to Iowa City, I would not be opposed. Um, and so when I heard about this position as the Director of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Carver College of Medicine, I you know, jumped on that opportunity. And to have, not only because I was happy to come back to Iowa City and University of Iowa, but also to have the opportunity to give back. Um, so within our office, we um, work with a lot of students, undergraduate, medical stu undergraduate students who are trying to get into medical school, um, medical students who um, are right in the, you know, the early trenches of um, their medical career, and then residents, and then faculty. So within our office, we try and provide support to all those individuals, including staff as well. So I was really excited, not only for the opportunity to come back to Iowa City, but also to um, give back and to provide some of my experiences as a medical student, as a black, you know, uh, medical student, um, what my experiences were like, um, 
the way I got there. So to give back in some ways. So that was really a nice opportunity um, and the position that I'm in that I have those close connections to mentor, to help support um, students who on their journey to becoming physicians and um, just health sciences careers as well. So. Yes, well, I'm happy that you're in that role um, because, I, I, again, I know that you have personal stories that you can really help people along, and listening, I think, is key, and being able to connect and identify right away with people. That's one of the abilities, especially with your profession as a psychiatrist. You know, that's, that's kind of what you do. Um, so your office released a statement. It really highlighted the deaths of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Teller, Nina uh, Pop as well as George Floyd. Can you explain kind of what, what that message was? So the, the statement was entitled um, Hate Crimes and uh, Violence Against Black Americans is a Public Health Issue. What the statement shared is a lot of times the um, chronic stress and exposure to racism and um, hate and violence that are um, that are experienced um, sometimes directly and indirectly can have a toll on somebody's not only their mental health, but there's also data that's really looked at their physical health. Um, and so that's some of the things that that statement highlighted. And because of this, it's a public health issue to, to highlight this issue and something that we as a community, as a society, need to look towards and try and um, to address. Seeing this as a public health issue really does make a lot of sense because it, we're, it, it's a crisis and it's something that we really have to look at very closely in order to get past it. Now, uh, White Coats for Black Lives, how did that come about? So yes, yeah, so White Coats for Black Lives. So um, a few years ago, um, after a previous um, killing that occurred against a black um, uh, individual here in America, White Coats for Black Lives was formed. And since then, um, you know, recently with the recent deaths with Ahmaud Arbery, um, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, Nina Pop, because of that, um, there was a national push to have another demonstration, a kneeling demonstration. And so when we heard about that, the dean um, in our office, Dr. Denise Martinez says, we really need to do, you know, we really would like to participate in this. So um, she behind the scenes was organizing, making sure that all the logistics were put into place so that we were able to hold this event. Um, we reached out to the residents, to uh, medical students who made signs, um, uh, we reached out to um, the UI healthcare community to let them know that we would be holding this event. And so we didn't really know exactly how many people we would be expecting, but um, we had a, you know, a really great turnout. Um, we um, had the demonstration, how we organized it is we um, had a brief introduction. Um, I, I spoke and one of our um, residents, a surgery resident, also shared. He shared for a brief moment, and then we kneeled for um, the amount of time that the police officer was um, on George Floyd's neck. That was kind of the organization of the demonstration that we held um, at that time. Yeah, I know that people have really wanted to show and be a part of some type of demonstration, and I thought that that was 
a great way for the white coats to come and show their support for Black Lives Matter. One of the things you've mentioned is um, because of the frequency of what we're seeing, we're talking about George Floyd now, but there's others that we just named and many more beyond that that um, have had their lives taken um, um, because of racist acts, uh, point blank. And at some point when, when you're you know, hearing this all the time, all the time, all the time, and you feel a little less empowered, um, you kind of get desensitized to these hate crimes. Can I know that you've mentioned that a little bit. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so during, you know, I think that my first um, realization or my first kind of thought about this was after, during, after the demonstration, um, we were interviewed or I was interviewed by the local news and the newscaster asked me, you know, are you happy with the turnout? You know, isn't this great? And um, my first reaction was, you know, I was surprised that we had so many people come out and that was, you know, a really great thing. But um, I, I wasn't necessarily, you know, feeling happy. I, and I realized that my emotions, I had almost become desensitized to, um, you know, any emotion. I had become somewhat tired from, um, from all you know, the things that had been going on over the years, um, racism, just chronically experiencing it myself and, um, and just seeing it um, happen. So it directly and indirectly happening and just had grown tired and in some ways have lost some hope that things were actually going to change. Um, uh, I know that there's, you know, Will Smith quote that people have been sharing that, you know, racism is not necessarily something that's getting worse. It's just getting filmed. And so um, so there's some of that sense, I feel like definitely from people um, in some ways from my generation and the older generation just um, are just used to this happening or, you know, somewhat in some ways seeming to be um seeing this and just are exhausted and tired from this happening. Uh, but in some ways, I also wonder about just kind of losing some of that, um, the emotion behind it, because we just become desensitized to it. Yeah, I, at least for me, I think sometimes when it happens over and over and over, and you feel somewhat uh, powerless, like it seems so huge, how do you change it? Um, and I think one of the biggest things that we've not done to change it is have the conversations. Um, one, of, one of my nieces was um, here at school and there was this really obvious racist thing that happened from a white child there. And so I was riding in the car with her and she was talking about it. And then she said, you know what the issue is? Everybody knows it exists and no one wants to talk about it. This is a 16 year old in high school that is saying that it's an issue, but no one wants to talk about it. And I think that has been probably the, the number one issue is that we, it's such an uncomfortable conversation, even for me as a black man, but we have to talk about it. We need to hear the experiences and we need to figure out ways to get beyond that, assess ourselves, and then we can move forward. So, yeah, I, I'm so happy that you've been very open and sharing your story today. Now, you are the Director of Diversity, Inclusion, and Equity. I probably mixed that up a little bit. It's okay. <laughs> it's a long one. 
So, at, so what are some of the things that you are hoping to see in the future, are doing now? Um, I, it, it, is, it is large. This is, racism is a, or systemic racism, is a large thing to even conquer. Um, so what are some of the things that you're, you're anticipating? Yeah, so um, I think with, um, y- you know, with what, you know, with the statement that we came out with about how, um, you know, in some ways just racism as a public health issue. And so looking at, you know, I think a lot of the conversations have been around, you know, police as a system, you know, the, the um, criminal justice system, but really looking at the healthcare system and what, you know, what are some ways that we can break down um, some of this systemic racism within our, um, within our system. Um, and so I have been really fortunate to be involved in um, the changes that are occurring within UI Healthcare. Um, with what you've been talking about where some people just don't wanna have these conversations, they don't want to, um, cause it's uncomfortable, it, it makes you feel uneasy. It's not something that is um, easy to hear or too easy to, to face. And so um, that is, you know, fortunately some of the things that we're trying to do because often without hearing these things, without having these conversations, without hearing experiences, it's hard to move to change. Mm -hmm. So um, within UI healthcare, we've been really, really trying to um, listen to people's experiences, black, Black individuals within our um, UI healthcare trying to hear what their experiences has been. So we've been having listening sessions. Uh, we started off with the medical students. Um, we've had one with residents, um, with faculty, um, and with our staff. And so our hope is, and in, in already, I will be honest, with already with these listening sessions that we've held, um, we've had leadership within UI healthcare present to hear the experiences, the suggestions that um, individuals within the Black community um, have for leadership. And um, already we've heard, we've um, started to make changes um, on the medical student level, on the resident level, on all these different levels. We're starting to uh, make um, concrete and also really um, uh, be thoughtful about what we can do to make a change within our system. So, um, so uh, we are planning to formulate a task force of individuals to con- kind of come up with concrete uh, uh, task that the leadership can do going forward to mitigate some of these um, injustices or um, things that people are, are experiencing. And some of the examples of things that people have shared are feelings of isolation, feeling like there's not enough representation within their community. Um, experiences with microaggressions, experiences with, um, again, overt and um, but also a lot of the covert racism, not anything directly at them. So those are some of the things that we've heard. And so through that, we're hoping to have more trainings on implicit bias and how that um, some of these things that you might not even realize that you're harboring some of these thoughts, some of these um, feelings, um, how to um, to recognize them. So then you can try to um, not let these, you know, ingrained thoughts affect your actions and the things that you might do. Well, I know that it's not an easy task. 
and many are calling upon you right now in the community. So thank you for your leadership. Thank you for um, being outspoken about your personal experiences. I think that's always a, a, a hard place to put yourself in um, because none of us want to be judged, right? <laughs> and, but, but at this point, I think the personal stories are essential in order for people to really connect um, how people are feeling um, during this time. Thank you so much. Is there anything that you want to tell us before we end today? No, I just, I think just maybe just leaving with this quote um, from James Baldwin, you know, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Yes, I love that. And we will end on that note. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's our episode for today. If you would like to follow along with the city's progress on the Black Lives Matter movement, you can visit icgov.org BLM. We'll be back again next week with another episode of Community Connection. Until then, remember that we're all in this together and Black Lives Matter.